Welcome back to Polite Politics. No need to offer here with Jenny Tayer. Jenny, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. It has been, I think, maybe the busiest week since we've started the podcast, I think. Oh my gosh. News for days. My head is spinning. It's been unbelievable. Let's start off with uh, a couple of stories. Batting order, we'll, we'll move around. But Harvey Weinstein case, we've got CPAC was just in town. APAC is now in town. We have a COVID-19 update for you. Stock market, obviously a big story in the news. The U.S. signing a peace deal with the Taliban. We also have a, a couple of other great things as far as the uh, South Carolina primary and a preview of Super Tuesday. So a lot to get into, and we will start now. Harvey Weinstein was found guilty by a jury of his peers in New York. First degree sexual assault, third degree rape. He was found not guilty on uh, some counts of the sexual predation charges. Those were the more serious ones that carried life in prison. He has a case in L.A. that is still proceeding. Charges there include forcible rape, forcible oral copulation, sexual penetration by use of force, sexual battery by restraint. Could face up to 28 years in prison there. As of right now, he could face up to 25 years in prison. In New York, March 11th is the date for sentencing. That's so right. he was the the big domino, would you say, to fall? In, in the first really big name in the Me Too movement that I think really kind of launched this thing. Jenny, what do you think the impact of this is? What's the impact going forward? I think, um, like we saw, it really started the Me Too movement, and I think that's only going to grow. Fortunately, women have a voice, right? But unfortunately, and victims, because it can be both men and women, but I think that it's going to expose a a greater um, culture in Hollywood. Um, And, you know, I think it's it's a very sad reality. Also, it appears that Harvey Weinstein is in a hospital right now, um, and they diverted um, him to that hospital when they were headed to Rikers. Um, he is not very, um, he's not dealing with this well, which I think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of, kind of what what he deserves you know and a lot of his victims believe and i think um the attorney for his victims gloria allred she said why is he not in the rikers you know clinic why is he being treated like he's always been treated i think you're, you're absolutely right about that jenny and you made a great point about the fact that harvey weinstein was not only enabled by many in the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, the Obamas, throughout the years, he has, he has been a big donor for a lot of, of Democrats. Do you think that this will lead to more self-awareness or more of an inward introspective look among uh, some in Hollywood and the Democratic Party? I hope that it changes the culture. Definitely hope it changes the culture. And, and as we, uh, I was saying, just found this out. Apparently, California cannot prosecute a defendant without that person sitting in the courtroom. So California and New York are going to have to work out some way for them to transport Harvey Weinstein to California and then probably hold him there for the duration of their trial. And the March 11th sentencing will, will give us a lot more clarification, but he's going to prison for what, what should be and, and seems like a very, very, very long time. He'll spend the rest of his life in prison. Want to move on to APAC and CPAC, a couple of huge conferences going on this week. Uh, you were at CPAC and you are going to APAC, uh, and it's, it's just kind Ooh. of a, a craziness here in the D.C. area. So, so Jenny, break it down for us. I would love to know, you know, what are one or two things that you kind of learned or got out of CPAC from your time there? And what sure. are one or two things that you're expecting or looking forward to from APAC that you're going to today? 
Okay, so CPAC was amazing. Um, I can't even tell you how many people there were. It was completely sold out. Um, the crowds were so engaged. Um, I actually didn't go for many of the sessions because I had to work um, there, but I did go to the vice president's speech and it was so um, exciting and he really left people with a positive outlook despite starting which I thought was really interesting despite starting it off with coronavirus he really put people at ease um, and he really rallied people around the flag it was incredible um, he even came down at the end and took selfies with everyone which was just amazing um, you know he touched on everything from the U.S. relationship with Israel, which I think is important with APAC coming up. He talked about, you know, our great veterans, um, Afghanistan. Um, it was really a great speech, and um, everyone was really excited. And I have to say, despite having a heckler behind me who interrupted the speech, he did not flinch. He kept going. CPAC quickly escorted this person out, and it, it was amazing. He really, um, he really is just a great speaker. So I think that was one of the highlights for, for me. Moving ahead to APAC, what are uh, one or two things that you're kind of either looking forward to or expecting to get out of APAC? Well, I'm looking forward to hearing from some of the greatest world leaders. Um, and I think it's also interesting timing because we're coming up to the third election in Israel. So hopefully this will be the last election because um, it's it's been pretty crazy there. The political system is, is definitely a lot different than ours. Um, and I think also there's going to be, despite having this close to Super Tuesday, there's going to be a few Democratic um, presidential hopefuls that we'll be video conferencing in, which will be exciting. So moving on now, we, we have a COVID-19, the coronavirus. We have our first reported death of coronavirus in the, in the United States. The reason I say reported death, and I want to use that word very carefully, is because there are some people that haven't been diagnosed yet that they could also have died from coronavirus. We just didn't know. But this is the first reported death in the United States. It came in Washington state. San Francisco has declared a state of emergency as well. The West Coast is kind of on, on high alert right now. And uh, we just found out overnight, HHS Secretary, that's again, Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, has said that there is a new case now in Chicago. So we have a new case uh, in Chicago in the United States. The Vice President Pence, as you talked about, is leading a uh, task force. It seems right. from his time as governor of the state of Indiana, definitely it would seem has that kind of leadership experience to summon different stakeholders and do outreach to different groups. It seems like he was definitely the right person to lead this charge. And then the stock market tumbled, unfortunately, and, and we're in correction territory. It was the fastest stock market correction in history as we see investors becoming more nervous about the situation right now as we see the global economy with, with what we're seeing in China. Now Italy has had a lot. South Korea and Iran are now seeing explosion in new cases. The death rate is still quite low right now, but there are still so many people that we don't know whether they have it or they don't. For Vice President Pence, what do you think of, of the president's actions so far in terms of trying to, to take control and really get a handle on this and keep the panic level down? I think he's doing a great job. I think that first press conference where he announced that Pence was leading the charge, um, it was very um, reassuring. Um, he also spoke uh, once this death was reported. Um, so he's very on top of educating the public, keeping everyone informed. Um, 
and making sure that there's no misinformation um, being spread. So he's speaking directly with reporters and with the American public. It's really important that he does that. Um, and I think also um, one thing that's really important to note is that there are a couple countries, including the U.S., that are working towards a vaccine. Um, I think one of the quickest we're going to see is through uh, Israeli scientists that say they're weeks away. Um, once that happens, they'll have like basically 90 days before it's able to be used, um, which is actually the quickest process, which is a, which is a little alarming because this is spreading a lot a lot quicker than that. I mean, I don't know where we'll be in three weeks plus 90 days from that time. We also have the UK health secretary saying they're working towards a vaccine. That could be months. The US um, has a longer process. It could take up to a year. Um, so that's something also to look at. And obviously, we hope that the, uh, the Israeli scientists can, uh, can create this vaccine as, as quickly as possible, one that's effective and, and helps slow potential uh, deaths that we might see around the globe from this. Now let's uh, let's move on to uh, some big news for one Joe Biden last night. Apparently this is his first time ever winning a state in a presidential primary. He's never won a state before. This is his first win and it could not have come at a better time for the former vice president. He is now second in delegates. Tom Steyer has dropped out of the race as he dominated Joe Biden did in South Carolina. What is the state of the race now as you see it as we move here to Super Tuesday? And that's what we'll talk about. So we'll, we'll get South Carolina and then the Super Tuesday. You know, your your initial thoughts on, on South Carolina, Jenny. Right. I mean, Biden really took the cake here. He had 48% of the vote, which is huge. Um, and this is a state with a ton of delegates, um, and there was a huge turnout in the race. He also really captured the African-American vote. Um, according to an exit poll, he got 60%, 61% of that, excuse me. Um, and this is coming right on the heels of Super Tuesday, like you said. I mean, he dominated, just as you said, not just among African-Americans. He won every demographic, you know, and, and actually seemed to mm -hmm. expand some of the electorate, which is kind of very interesting. He won independence, which has typically been a, a very important group for Bernie Sanders, who typically is is an independent, but then uh, you know caucuses with the with the Democrats. Very interesting. March third is Super Tuesday. Thirty four percent of the pledged delegates are going to be out, so about a third of the remaining delegates there. Steyer again, who dropped out, spent nearly two hundred million dollars. Didn't really see much for it, although he did come in third, I believe, in South Carolina. That's right. Some of these states here that uh, will be up for grabs, so we have Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, and, not to be left out, American Samoa. So we get 14 states and a territory. There are no winner-take-all states. So whoever the front-runner is kind of going forward, they will continue to amass delegates. And it looks like Bernie Sanders is in a situation where he is barring something miraculous after super tuesday it looks like he will have a nearly insurmountable lead in the delegate count what is your your thoughts here on the state of the race do you do you think that somebody is going to be able to catch bernie sanders on super tuesday and make a move it's hard to say because up until south carolina sanders really had a lead with iowa new hampshire and nevada 
Um, so it'll be interesting, although Biden did recently get the Virginia governor's endorsement, which will be huge for that state. But I think also the key players here in those 14 states you listed are also going to be California and Texas. Um, and that will be really interesting for what's to come on Super Tuesday. So I expect, my prediction personally, that Sanders is going to take the lead in most of these states. Um, but I don't think Biden is going to fall too behind. I think maybe he'll definitely win Virginia. So I think he'll win some states, but I have very, very big doubts that he'll be able to have anything close to what we're going to see Sanders amass. Sanders, there is a potential situation where Sanders might be the only one to get to the 15% threshold in California that you have to clear in order to get their delegates. I think right now Sanders is is polling in the 30s and you know Biden I think is around 18%. So if the margin of error is is within there and Biden falls below that 15, then I mean we 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 may not see anybody except for one person clear that threshold to get California state's delegates. California is delegate rich and that's why California decided to move up because their position in the previous primary calendar, the race had pretty always usually been decided, but now they are a kingmaker on Super Tuesday, which is huge for them. California and Texas are the big prizes. Right now, Bernie has a, a narrow lead in Texas, but a big, big lead in California. I was reading something from Mike Allen and Axios. He said if Bernie's Super Tuesday vote share, and this was just like all of the, the Super Tuesday votes, if he wins, let's just say 5%, so let's say 30 to 25%. If he pulls at 30, the next highest person, 25%, he's going to net 96 more delegates than the next highest person, which we believe is probably going to be Biden, maybe Bloomberg, but probably Biden, especially on the heels of his victory. Now, let's say that that goes to 30% to 20%. So let's say that Bernie Sanders wins by 10% there in terms of his vote share. Then he gets 198 more delegates. If it's even bigger, 35% to 20%, it's 328 more for him. I think it's going to be Bernie Sanders with the most delegates coming out of not just Super Tuesday, but I think he is going to be the big front runner now, still going into Super Tuesday, definitely after Super Tuesday. What I think is very interesting is what happens with the moderates. Jenny, do you think Warren, Klobuchar, Bloomberg, do you see them dropping out after, you know, perhaps poor Super Tuesday performances, or do you think they are in for a dime, in for a dollar, they are going all the way to a brokered convention because that's what it seems like Bloomberg and Warren that's, plan to do. Yeah, I think that's what it, what's going to happen exactly. Um, I think they're going to stick with this race. Um, I don't know necessarily how moderate they are. Um, that was actually something that the vice president touched on. He said, let me be clear, there are no moderates in this Democratic presidential primary pool. Um, that's a smart way. Of, I think that's a smart way of casting them. I, I, right. would just, I would disagree with the vice president's assertion there, but I think that's a smart way to paint it to a national, To a, you know, well, certainly I think the people in the audience are his base. I, I think that's certainly what they want to hear. I think if you try to paint that nationally and you say, look, it's it's a choice between maybe say, two people on opposite ends of the spectrum as opposed to somebody who's more moderate. I think that certainly works in their favor. I think you're absolutely right. The Warren certainly identifies much more strongly with the 
the Bernie Sanders flank of the party where I think Klobuchar could and, and Bloomberg certainly are trying to make their cases as, as Democratic moderates. Right. And it's also very hard to tell what any of these people stand for anymore because I can't even tell you how confusing the last debate was. It was just That's what I heard. out of control. I mean, the moderators lost control. It was just people talking over one another. It's very interesting to see as we go forward. But right now, I think it looks like it has become perhaps a two-man race between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden on the back of, of Joe Biden's huge win there in South Carolina. A lot of people, Jenny, are saying that it maybe was too little, too late for the anti-Bernie Sanders crowd. They should have tried to coalesce around a one person and tried to stop him that way. A lot of people trying to draw a comparison to what happened in 2016 with President Trump, how they did not coalesce around one person and President Trump ended up doing very, very well. And then they were unable to stop him as he kept the momentum. Did you think that right now, and and we'll have a better idea after Super Tuesday, but the way it looks right now, do you think that the Democrats made a mistake in not trying to coalesce around one person to stop Bernie Sanders? Now, obviously, this is the will of the people here. The people want Bernie Sanders, they're going to vote for Bernie Sanders, and we have to respect that. But at the same time, a lot of people are very opinionated, believing that Bernie Sanders— Certainly a lot of media coverage believes, and I'm sure some officials in the Democratic Party believe, that a Bernie Sanders candidacy would be a turnoff for a lot of moderates and independents. Do you believe Mm -hmm. that the Democratic Party here, and specifically a lot of the candidates, made a big mistake in not trying to drop out, check their ego at the door, and not coalesce around one person? I think definitely the DNC feels that they made a mistake, Um, and I think— they made a mistake in not, you know, finding that one person who would be kind of like the establishment candidate. Um, instead, that was spread across uh, at the beginning. Um, almost, you know, I don't even know how many were at the beginning. It was just when you looked at that first debate stage, it was overwhelming. So I think that was a mistake from the start, um, and they didn't catch it in time. So that could lead to a brokered convention, like you said. I definitely think that's the way we're headed. So the amount of delegates, just so you know, that is required, 1,991. That is the majority of the delegates that if somebody reaches that, they will get the nomination. So a brokered convention, as, as Jenny was explaining, is what happens if somebody does not get that threshold, then it goes to a brokered convention where you will have a floor vote and if somebody does not get the 1,991 on that first vote, then the more than 700 superdelegates come into play. And mm-hmm. that's where it gets really, really dicey. Because if Bernie Sanders has a huge lead, let's just say, for example, that he's at 1,800 delegates. And the next closest person is, let's say, 500 or 600 behind. And they give it to somebody else when somebody was that close to reaching it, you're going to have a mutiny on your hands in terms of Bernie Sanders supporters and donors. We saw a lot of his primary voters in 2016 ended up voting for President Trump. If that happens and they take it away from him, they will either stay home or vote for him again. I can promise you that. Ooh, we'll see. We will definitely <laughs> see. We've talked about 
coronavirus. Harvey Weinstein, just feel dirty talking about that, obviously. South Carolina and Super Tuesday, which we previewed for you. Now I'd love to get into uh, to a little more uplifting stories. We have a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, definitely looking forward to getting your thoughts on this, Jenny. So the U.S. signed a peace deal with the Taliban. There's going to be a scheduled withdrawal over the next 14 months. There's a lot of wiggle room for interpretation, and obviously the Taliban has to hold up their end of the deal. But if we look at this, 3,500 U.S. and allied soldiers have been killed over there since the invasion in 2001. We spent over $2 trillion dollars. And tens of thousands of Afghans have been killed. Jenny, I mean, do you see this as a really positive thing? I think Vice President Pence, or it might have been Pompeo that had said, this is going to be something that might be a little bit unpopular in Washington, but something that most Americans will will really like. What's your take on that? Right. So I, I actually have thought a lot about this, and I've listened to a lot of experts on this. And what people agree um, that no... The nature of the Taliban um, when it comes to negotiations with the U.S. is that it has to be a very well thought out deal. Um, And no matter what, and no matter what the Taliban say, they're not going to, in any deal, actually make sure that the Afghan people are well off in the end. That's truly not how the Taliban work. This is a terrorist organization. Um, And so we have to be very careful. Um, A withdrawal is something that we should work towards, but it's also important that we still have a presence on the ground because this is a place where other adversaries are encroaching and have a presence there um, that we have to be very careful about. When the Taliban says, oh yeah, we're going to do this, it's very hard for me to try to believe what they're going to be saying. But we are negotiating with the Taliban, and then the Taliban is going to then try to make some kind of peace arrangement with the Afghan government that is democratically elected. But I think the idea of peace, definitely something that we want to work towards. We've been there again since 2001. So uh, the the slow withdrawal of troops over time, not immediate, is definitely good to, as you say, Jenny, maintain a presence on the ground. So this is the the big, big uplifting story that I wanted to talk about. I, I saw this online the other day. There's a woman named Lindsay Sheely. She was getting pizza delivered to her in Rhode Island, okay? Okay. So Lindsay Sheely gets pizza delivered to her in <laughs> Rhode Island, and her son, very young son, Cohen, goes out and gives the pizza delivery man a hug and a kiss after he delivered the pizza, which is amazing. Now, this man is named Ryan Catterson. By the way, I do the same thing to my pizza delivery guy. You get a hug and kiss? <laughs> I'm just always so happy to see that my food is here. That's beautiful. Well, well, this this is a, a, this this little baby boy, uh, Cohen. What Cohen did not know, of course, because he's he's just a just a baby, is that Ryan Catterson had lost his 16 year old daughter that week. And so, Aww. what's amazing, Lindsay Sheely said that her doorbell actually captured the whole thing with video. So they had a video, captured it. She posted the 20-second video online, and it actually ended up in Ryan Catterson's feed. Oh, my God. And so Catterson reached out to her and said that that hug and kiss meant everything to him because, as I mentioned, he had just lost his 16-year-old daughter that week. And he has a GoFundMe for the, the funeral arrangements for his daughter, it 
really went up as far as the the contributions went. It's now over twenty eight thousand dollars as far as people's contributions to help him pay for his daughter's funeral expenses and just you know the kind of goodness that people show, especially from from that that little baby Cohen yes. to to give this this pizza delivery man a hug and a kiss for delivering dinner and and just what it meant to to somebody and and that he had no idea. But that must have meant the world to, to Ryan Catterson. And certainly a beautiful moment between those three, Lindsey Sheely, Cohen, and Ryan Catterson. And, and I just want to have everybody kind of take that as you go into your week. Just yes. a, a little bit of, of goodness out there in the world. Absolutely. I mean, tell people that you love that you love them. Remind them. It doesn't have to be an occasion to do so. And, you know, be nice to the people around you who you don't know. And, you know, I think that's just a lesson. You never know what someone else is going through. So just be a kind person. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better than that. Jenny, final thoughts on the week that was. I know there was a lot in there. And then uh, maybe some uh, some thoughts on the week we have ahead. Well, I'm excited for Super Tuesday. We'll see what happens, and we'll just have to stay tuned. Um, excited for APAC this week. I'll have some updates next week. Absolutely, and I uh, want to give my twin sister a birthday shout-out. Her birthday is going to be next week. I should also mention that since she is my twin sister, my birthday oh my will gosh, also be next week. Oh, my gosh, that means it's your birthday. My birthday Woo! will also be next week. Love you, Rach, and it's just a, an exciting week, obviously, ahead, as you said, March 3rd, Super Tuesday, and man, what a what an action-packed week and and what a bunch of stories just one right after the other after the other starting with with harvey weinstein and then just kind of going all the way through to yesterday where we had south carolina a lot there and and hopefully we we gave it to you in the best way that we can in a way that's kind of concise informative entertaining and most importantly polite no niederhofer jenny Terror. thank you so much for joining us on polite politics we hope to see you next time thanks guys